Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. And so as we turn in Ephesians, continue on in our series with the books of Ephesians, we're looking at Ephesians 4. And I just want to, we kind of took a week off last week. And so I pray that everybody stayed warm and stayed safe. Um, but I want to just kind of recap. It's Ephesians 1. Jesus came to save us and to give us a, and had authority here on earth. And he gave that to us. Everything was placed under his feet. And in Ephesians 2, he saved us by grace. He empowered us and he gives us peace. Ephesians 3, Pastor Carl, Carlo explained to us that Jesus came for everyone. For everyone. And because of that, we are One remembered. Because of that, we... Wow. Take a week off. This is... At least hear what other people are saying and fake it. He reminded us that we are... There we go. Way to fake it till you make it. We family. We family. And so in Ephesians 4, we're going to start um, going through Ephesians 4 this morning. And Chad, we are going to jump. And I just want to highlight that Ephesians 4 is unique because it starts off in verse 2 by telling us to love one another. And it ends by telling us to forgive one another. Isn't it unique? Starts off reminding us we need to love one another. And it finishes by telling us to forgive one another. And so as we look through Ephesians 4, we're going to look at verse 2 really quickly, and it says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This week in the men's small group that we're doing on Thursday nights, we actually were talking about pride and humility and how we have to humble ourselves. And I love, hear my heart, I love growing up in the church. I love being a part of the church from a young age. But when I was young, we talked so much against pride that we never explained what humility was. It just said, be humble. And so I don't know about you, but if you grew up in the church, it might have been just me. But I grew up with an understanding of to not be prideful, I had to suck at everything. For me to actually say, well, I'm good at that, was prideful. But I have a question for you. What if I'm actually good at it? What if I have the understanding that I am good at it because of who Jesus Christ is? So I understand that if you say to me, hey, Chad, are you any good at this? Yeah, actually, I am. But in my heart, I know that it's because of Jesus Christ. What's wrong with that? 
Do you know that I would never play on any sports team if somebody asked me, hey, Chad, are you any good at softball? No, I'm horrible. Good to know. Do you know there is a difference between me saying I'm good at that and me saying I'm the best at that? I love, I heard one person say this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less often. See, you can come and tell me a story that you're really good at something, you did something great. Where I stay humble is I don't try to top your story. When I try not to top your story, my humility is willing to give you praise. Do you ever think what God, how Jesus feels? We're going to get into it where he gives us gifts. Miles just had his birthday yesterday and he got a whole pile of gifts. There was way too many kids here. It was crazy. I remember why I'm not the children's pastor. If your child was here and they said I yelled at them, I probably did. I'm sorry. In the most loving way possible. But can you imagine? So Melissa and I give him a gift that he's been asking for for a long time. Can you imagine how it would feel for us if he came to church today and somebody said, so what would you get for your birthday? Well, I got this. Oh, you love it? Well, it's not that good. We all moan. We're like, whoa. But how many times has God given you a gift, you an ability to do something for him, and somebody comes up to you and says, you're, you're really gifted at this. You're really good at this. And your response, because you've been taught not to be prideful, is, oh, no, I'm horrible. I'm not that good. And Jesus is sitting in heaven going, I made you good. There's totally, total difference for me to walk up to somebody and say, you know what, Ian? You're really good at this. And for Ian to say, thank you. That's not prideful. If Ian's response to me was, well, actually, Chad, I'm not good at it. I'm the best at it. <laughs> now we understand the difference. But as much as we're humble, when it says here, be completely humble, that doesn't mean you have to be horrible. And this is where our society has got messed up and everybody got participation ribbons. I love, the Olympics were on and I saw one of the best posts on Facebook. Oh look, people are getting medals but nobody's getting a participation ribbon. I know it's supposed to encourage people, but it doesn't. Because how many people here have been passed over for a promotion? How many people here have received a promotion? Do you know that you received a promotion because you did better than the other ones? And I don't know about you, but any time I've been passed over for something, you don't want to know what it's told me to do? Work harder. And you know what? 
happened to me when Melissa looked at me with the nicest eyes possible when we first started dating and said, no, Chad, you can't sing. (laughs) You know what it did to me? It made me go, okay, I'm not going to kill myself trying to get better at this. I'm going to concentrate on what God's called me to do. Just because you're not good at one thing doesn't mean you're a horrible person. I said to the men's group, every one of them in that room is gifted at something that I cannot do. And all that that means is I call them when I need to do it. (laughs) The Bible talks about it. What if the eye said to the hand, I don't need you? What if the hand said to the eye, I don't need you? Be humble and gentle. We don't pride ourselves over each other. We humbly serve one another. And through that we love and we show grace and we show mercy. And by doing this, it shows his love. It is such a different, different approach to life. When somebody comes up to you and says, hey, can you help me with this? I can, but if you really want help with that, you should probably call Mike. He's way better at it than me. Our workplaces, we always try to outdo each other. I always call it one-up stories, and I think it's horrible. And somebody pointed it out in me, just so you're aware. That's where I came aware of one-up stories, because I was horrible at it. One guy tells a story, and the next friend sitting there tells a better story. And the vicious cycle is, if you really pay attention, this is where it gets humorous, is when it goes around in a circle and it comes back to the first person that won up, and they won up again, which means they actually won up their own story. When you sit back and start to observe, observe it and realize that you're fighting yourself from trying to get in on it, it's actually kind of humorous. It's easier just to go, that's awesome. Good job. That was really a, supposed to be a short point, so I really hope you got something out of it. And because we're supposed to humbly and serve, and this is why, verse 4 and 6 says this, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. See, when you read this and you understand that we all have the same spirit, And that spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So what that means is the spirit of power is in us, and it's in every one of us. Therefore, we need to humbly serve one another because nobody is better than the other because we have the same in us. So the spirit in me is not better than the spirit in you. So there's two folds of that. As we look around the room and we see all the different giftings, if God has gifted you to do something, you can do it just as well as anybody else. It's just your faith that has to follow through. There's nervousness to step out in faith. It is easy not to share the gospel. If you think, Chad, I'm just not really good at it, can I tell you something? The first first time somebody tried to share the gospel, they weren't really good at it. I have yet to see a baby stand up for the first time and start running. They usually take a couple little wobbly steps, 
and fall over. And because as they were falling, they moved one foot in front of the other, everybody goes crazy <laughs> and thinks they took a step. They were trying to prevent themselves from falling. <laughs> so as you share the gospel and you're not sure how you did, just try to prevent yourself from falling and Jesus will be happy. And then as you do it more and more, you'll be surprised how you start to walk and then you start to run. And it's amazing how God will stretch us. We have one spirit, one hope, one God, one Father, one faith. Therefore, we are equal. We are equal. If you look through this room for a moment, look side to side. We've got the lights on. You can look around. Have a look around for a moment. You are equal. We are equal. The same spirit lives in us. We are equal. So we live humbly. Verse 7 and 8 says, But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So we are all equal, but we have all different callings. What gifts did he give us? In verse 11 to 13, it says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." So his gifts were the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. But we also understand that he gave many other spiritual gifts that we will get into later. But every one of us has been given gifts according to the Holy Spirit. The role of the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to actually equip. So all of us are supposed to equip ourselves. Become mature. In Christ. How many people know a 42-year-old that's really immature? I said 42 because I'm only 38. <laughs> Do you realize if we know somebody in a physical age that's older, that's immature, by the way, I have a picture that flows through on my little digital frame in my office, and it's one of my favorite things. It says, immature is what boring people use for fun people. But that said, as much as that's just a joke, there are many people who have been serving Jesus Christ. I'm just throwing up 42. For some reason that number came to me. If you're 42, I'm not picking on you. Who have been saved for 42 years that are still immature in Christ. The whole idea is that we build one another up. We hold each other accountable but I had a mentor who said, not only should we hold each other accountable, we should hold each other accountable for our abilities. That's why it's called accountability. Who in your life is holding you accountable for your abilities? See, sometimes we think accountability is keeping us away from sin, but what if our accountability is also to push us into what God has called us to do? When was the last time as a church 
Somebody walked up to somebody and encouraged them because they're gifted at something and said, you should be doing this a little bit more. Now understand, the enemy does not want that to happen. So he will come at you with everything he has to intimidate you and make you fearful. That's when we have people that come around us to pray for us and to lift us up. Not only do they lift us up, but in that process, they actually are allowed to hold you accountable for your abilities. Because you're being transparent and saying, I'm struggling in this. This is how we walk as one body. This is how, as Pastor Carlo said, we... Wow. Either you're really listening to me in depthly or you're not listening at all. That's why Pastor Carlo said we... There we go. Because as family, we lift each other up. We hold each other up. We don't try to compete with each other. We're supposed to build each other up so we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you understand that if the Bible tells us to obtain the full measure, the whole measure, do you understand that you could attain a half measure? Do you realize you could attain a quarter? It also means you could attain three quarters and think you're almost there. But when was the last time you were dissatisfied because you didn't believe you had the full, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? We become so satisfied with what we believe is the presence of the Lord heard an illustration once, if you keep going into a bakery and every day you go in, you buy a fresh loaf of bread, and all of a sudden they started taking one loaf off, maybe a week, and they put one loaf less out a week, and you keep going, and every week they take one more loaf off the shelf because they're worried about throwing their supply out, and so they're just pulling it off, that after a while, because they do it so slowly, you won't even notice when you walk in and there's only one loaf on the shelf. To a point where when we start cutting back what we're eating, your body will naturally begin to feel full, and which some of us probably need to do, but that's a different story. And as we do that, our body will adjust, but sometimes our spiritual body will adjust. And what will happen is we will come into a church on a Sunday morning, and we will worship the Lord, and we will feel his presence. But it's but a crumb. It's a crumb of his presence. And we walk out feeling so full and so good, not realizing that spiritually we're starving, but we've just adjusted. I don't know about you, but my desire, if I'm used to a crumb, is to eat a slice of bread and then another slice and work my way back up to a loaf of bread to a point where now I need the bakery full because I understand what the fullness is. My heart's desire is that you will push in your relationship with the Lord and, and break out of comfort and break out of just a, a lack of knowledge maybe or just this desire of I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable here. If we go much farther, we en might end up looking like them. I'm comfortable here. 
If the Lord moves a little bit differently, I'm going to be uncomfortable. I don't read the verse where the Spirit will move upon you to your comfort. I do see where Jesus knocked Saul to the ground and made him blind. I do see where on the day of Pentecost, they were stumbling and falling in my interpretation because people saw them as drunk. When was the last time you were accused of being drunk of the Spirit? But Chad, we don't think the Lord would move that way now. That would make people uncomfortable. 3,000 people got saved that day. That's some uncomfortableness that I would be willing to put up with. As staff, one of our staff members asked a mentor a question about how the Holy Spirit can move in a place where you want to be sensitive to new believers. And the answer changed all of us. The answer was this. The moment you believe the Holy Spirit moving is going to make an unbeliever uncomfortable is the moment you're telling the Holy Spirit that you love them more than he does. I would step back and say I never want to say that. In today's society, if you watch TV, if you watch any sorts of uh, entertainment, you will find out very fast how much of it is spiritual. And many of us go, we don't want to watch that, we shouldn't watch that, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but it will tell you this, that even Hollywood knows that society is searching for the supernatural. That is why they're making money off of it. Because the desire is to see supernatural things, and they're giving it to them. But as a church where we have the supernatural power, where we walk in that authority, where Jesus Christ said that we will see the blind see, we will see deaf ears open, we will call the dead to rise, and we will speak to evil spirits and cast them out in the name of Jesus Christ. We shy away from it. The enemy is messing with us and making us think that if we step into all that God has called us to do, it will scare people when it's actually what people are looking for. What they are doing isn't working. They're looking for something to shock them and to change their life, not to shock them in a way to scare them, but to shift their life enough to go, that's real. Us coming and sitting on these chairs and listening to somebody talk and to sing some songs won't change people's lives. But the power of God that will change their life. I don't want a half measure. I want the full measure. Because once we have the full measure, then verse 14 says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. We need to understand what the word of God says. We need to be people of faith. We need to stand on the cornerstone of the Lord. I remember when the movie Noah came out, by no means am I saying it's accurate, don't. But I remember many people coming to me and telling me how inaccurate it was because they took more than just two animals of each kind, or like two of each kind into the ark. 
A lot of our theology is built up on songs. He took two of each on clean. He took seven of clean. If we're going to critique Hollywood, we should make sure that they don't know it better than us. We need to know the word of God. Honestly, it's fun, and I haven't done it here, and maybe I should sometime because it's kind of fun. Now you're all going to go study it, so it's just not going to be pointless. But You give a quiz on the Christmas story and watch how much of your theology on Jesus' birth is from Christmas carols that are not biblically accurate. Honestly, it's fun. Because even for your, like, as you do it yourself, you would be like, and none of them are salvation issues, don't get me wrong, but they're just the little details that you go, I really thought it was that way. Nope, it's the Christmas carol. And we base our theology on songs, not the word of God. We need to know what the word of God says. And while we do that, we can help lift each other up. We are called to lead people so we are not tossed back and forth. We know it. If you're trying to figure out even now, like, I'd really like to get into the Word of God a little bit more, but I'm not 100% where to start, just stop by the office. We'll, we'll sell you, but you can get, pick up a purple book, and it walks you through so many things from all of our beliefs, and it shows you right in scriptures where to find it. So many people are going through it right now, and they're loving it. It's $7. Some of us spend more than that on a drink. And you can just learn more and understand what God's word says. So therefore, when your neighbor asks you a question, you know the answer and where it's found. Not just the Bible says, but Matthew says. Or in the book of Acts, it says. Or in Genesis, it says. We understand that God's word and his word, sorry, as we understand God's word and his word, we will understand how much we are supposed to love one another. As you begin to get into the scriptures and understand, you'll find out how much loving each other, hear me, we're not talking about non-believers, we're actually just talking about loving each other. How much God is asking us to do that. Many of us say we need to do more outreach, but we don't love inside. I said it before, that's like bringing a friend to a family reunion that's crazy. Nobody wants to go to that. That's uncomfortable and awkward. But if we love one another, then we'll invite people in and they'll be like, your family's awesome. There's a small group going through the bait of Satan. And this week they were talking about forgiveness. And as we're leading to the end of Ephesians 4, where it talks about we need to forgive one another. Do you know that when Jesus said we need to forgive one another seven times 70, that was for one day. And that represents one person. Because he says, how often should I forgive my brother? Okay? If you have a sister, this includes her too. Just making sure you're still here with me. Do you realize the math, and I'm going to hope that Gary will correct me if I'm wrong. Do you realize that John Bevere broke the math down? And you need to forgive every three minutes. Right? Because that's if you sleep eight hours, right? That's without sleep. Oh. 
I thought I had it easy there for a second. So with, if you sleep every two minutes. So if you slept eight hours last night, today, look at your spouse and say, I will forgive you every two minutes and more if I need to. Go ahead, look at your spouse. If you're not looking at your spouse, you probably need to forgive them. I will forgive you every two minutes, if not more. So did anybody start that sentence off by saying, I forgive you, and I will forgive you every two minutes from here on out. This is how much we're supposed to love each other. Jesus says, every two minutes, if you sleep tonight, every two minutes. And again, that's not general. Each person. This is how much we are supposed to love one another. Verse 15 and 16, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. As we grow and as we love one another, we will grow in strength. We will grow in maturity. And here's the cool thing. I talked about this with the uh, children's workers this morning before we started um, service. Think about ligaments as it talks. If you've ever torn a ligament in your knee, you find out how quickly you need a tiny little strand. See, it's funny. My body will move without a leg. My leg has a very challenging and difficult time moving without a ligament. Without a ligament, I need surgery to repair it. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, Chad, you're telling me we all have gifts. You're telling me we're all a part of the body. I don't know where I serve and I don't want to be on the platform. I, I don't want any spotlight. I don't want anything like that. Maybe you are a vital ligament that Bethel, the body of Christ, desperately needs so that we can go from limping to running. And for the record, I said with them up the hall, I'll say here too, I don't recall anybody walking up to anybody and saying, Ian, nice ligament. Do you realize most of the parts of our body that are visual, you can actually do without? Obviously, besides the head. There's somebody in the crowd that's going to be like, the head. <laughs> our vitals are inside. Our vitals are protected by the body. Every one of you has such an important role Every one of us serves and supports and lifts each other up. We are all part of one team because we, man, they did it way easier with you. I shouldn't even say, I should just point at you and maybe they'll respond. Let's try that. As we strengthen, they strengthen the whole body and we need to because we are family, because we do this together. If we think that we're individuals, we already have it wrong. 
That's where pride comes in. That's where we're not humble in serving one another. Ephesians 4, we need to love and to forgive. Verse 20, that however is not the way of life we've learned, you've learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus Christ. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in truth, true righteousness, and holiness. We are, to continue in our walk with God, we are to be always changing. If you cannot point out something that has changed in your life in the last year, you are probably actually slipping away from God. There should be something that God is always, if you are open to it, he will always say, now this, now this. And there are so many prophetic words that are going around right now that the next wave of God's movement is going to come in a holiness movement. To a point where when we seek holiness, it gives the Lord an opportunity to flow. We have gone through the power, we have gone through the relationship, and now Jesus is asking us to become holy, to become set apart. We will find the move of God on our knees. When we stop seeking his hand and we seek his face and his heart. Jesus wants to outpour his spirit upon us. But we need to stop seeking the gifts and realize the gifts are there to bring people to Jesus Christ. We continue to see miracles happen here, but we don't want the miracles for the miracles. We want them to prove God's power that will draw people to a relationship with him. If it's just about the miracles, I'm out. We need to celebrate the miracles because the doors they open to lead people to Jesus Christ. See, as we put off the old self and we walk in the new self, as we walk in who we are as Jesus Christ, that is when people will see change. Last summer when we did the Fruit of the Spirit series, I hope some of you remember it, because I will tell you this, as I taught it, it changed my life. Because here's what I understand. How many of us, just a show of hands, will say that we have the Spirit of God living in us? Good. If I have the fruit of the Spirit living in me, then I am loving. I am joyful. I am peaceful. I am patient. I am kind. I am a good-hearted person. I am gentle. I have faith. And I have self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. It changed the way I thought. It changed the way I heard voices in my head because I always thought I was an impatient person and that I had a temper. They still try to stir themselves up, 
But because I know that I have the Spirit of God in me, it helps me to realize that I don't have to fight to get these things. The fact that the Spirit of God is in me, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, there's any gardeners in the place? I'm not, but you still have to weed the garden to make sure the fruit can grow healthy. But if you are trying to be more patient, to be kind, to be good, to be gentle, to stir up more faith in you, or to have self-control in an area of your life, because the Spirit of God lives in you, it's there. Speak to it. Declare it over your life. I have self-control. Therefore, I will not do this in Jesus' name. I quote many times the scripture where the disciples said to Jesus, we believe, help us with our unbelief. I know it sounds weird, but I can believe and still have a hint of unbelief. And so in those moments, God, I believe, help me with this speck of unbelief. I would rather address it than deny that it's there. 29.30, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others in according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The words we speak, even if it's in correction, should be in love to rise and bring everybody up. People should leave encouraged. It is not our job to critique and to manage everybody else. Well, Chad, you talked about accountability. Yeah, I let the people who love me hold me accountable. The people that don't like me, I take it with a large grain of salt. The ones who can come to me and say, Chad, you're too awesome to be an idiot like that. Those are the ones I listen to because they're pointing something out in me because they want to see me get better. And this is what the verse is saying. We need to lift each other up. You can even critique somebody and bless them. But too many of us spend time critiquing people. When we won't have an honest look in the mirror. We walk around with magnifying glasses finding specks because we, but somehow miraculously we look past the two by fours. I try so hard not to look for specks because I see my own two by fours. I love and encourage and lift up. This is what Jesus called me to do. This is what I challenge myself to do. Am I perfect at it? No. Do I see specks? Yes. Stephen Furtick wrote a message on relationships a couple of years ago and he said this, what you magnify is what you will see. If you look at somebody who's around you, if it's your children, if it's your spouse, if it's your boss, your coworkers, if you concentrate on one thing in their life that drives you nuts, it's the only thing you will see. Every one of us have seen it when we wake up with a pimple. It could be the smallest little pimple, but when you look in the mirror, all you see is this massive white head. It's getting sunny, it'll be all right. But what will happen is we do this in other people's lives. We will walk up to friends and be like, how bad is the pimple? And they'll be like, 
Oh, that. Can't even see it. Really? It looks huge in the mirror. You're magnifying it. Don't magnify things in other people's lives. One of the things the Lord is really working on in me is to make sure that I really examine my own heart. I examine my motives. I examine my thoughts. I examine my personality. I examine my character, my integrity, all of it. My thought patterns, my thought process, all of it before I even try to look at somebody else. I heard somebody say one time, you cannot discern something for somebody else unless you're willing to die for them. If you're not willing to lay your life down for them, then you can't discern for them. You can only change you. Allow the Lord to do that. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. As it started with love, it ends with forgiveness. And we should forgive others with the same grace and mercy as God has forgiven us. Sometimes, not to beat ourselves up, hear my heart, not to beat yourself up, but sometimes you need to reflect on who you would be without Christ in your heart so you would have mercy for others that don't. Because I know who I am without Jesus Christ in my life. And I cannot judge anybody. Jesus is the only thing that allows me to do what I do. He's the only thing that allows me to proclaim his name because I know who I am. I know who I am. And if we show the same mercy and forgiveness, we will love others. And Jesus Christ will be the common move in a way that we've dreamt of, that we believe in. And so what's our take home? What's our wrap up? Number one, we are one body with one spirit. We want to attain the full measure of God. To do that, we need to know his word. And we need to forgive each other. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the privilege and the honor to come to your house. And Lord, this morning, as people have given their hearts back to the Lord, Lord, I pray that they follow you, that, Lord, they come and they seek some wisdom and some guidance, that, Lord, ones that brought them, Lord God, intercede in their life. Lord, this morning, we talked about loving one another and forgiving one another. Lord, I know it's hard. And so, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and soften them. Soften our hearts, not to be right, but to be right with you that, Lord, we're not trying to be the best person, but, Father, we are trying to be with you. And so, Jesus, move this morning. Encourage, lift us up. And, Father, as we leave this place today, let us be that light for you. Let us love people. Let us show mercy and grace. And, Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us safe. Strengthen us this week as we love our neighbors and our coworkers and our family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 